You by any chance sitting next to somebody you don't know? Yeah? Okay. Well, if it is somebody you do not recognize or know, please make sure that you say hello before the service is over and we all rush on out of here. Uh, before I jump in this morning, uh, just a couple quick things. Uh, one is, um, as a word of encouragement, um, as was shared during announcement time, various ways to engage, one of them including giving. I just want to just encourage you, church family, you're, you're pretty awesome. Um, I don't normally pay attention to this. Uh, <laughs> I should. I look at the bulletin once in a while, look at financial giving. And month of May, uh, we actually, you gave a surplus of like $5,000 from what we needed. And so, uh, yeah, you could give your hand to that. Uh, it's incredible, uh, encouraging to see the church come around and be committed, not just word-wise, but to your sacrifice. And thank you for that. It's a huge blessing to me and our church continue to be involved and engage the mission of the church in various ways. Secondly, and I mentioned this this morning, um, and I'll just share this. You know, I, I was just talking to somebody this past week and um, just sharing with them why it's important for me personally to come on Sunday mornings. And it's not what you think. Um, I don't come on Sunday mornings just because I have something to do, although I do have things to do, I need to come. But I was sharing with them. Some of you might know, do you know that overall attendance, church attendance across the country is dropping in most churches? Folks are just not attending as often, not a huge priority. A number of reasons for that, but the reality is that's a reality. And I was just sharing with this person, do you know why I come on Sunday mornings? I don't know, maybe you thank you for asking, Carlton. Um, <laughs> do you ever sometimes just sit, sometimes I sit during the week, I'd be somewhere, and I, I just say to myself, it's really hard being a follower of Jesus sometimes. Like, it's hard, man. It's tough. And I'll tell you, and this might shock you, but sometimes I go, maybe I'm the only one, like, going through this. Maybe, like, I, I honestly, as a pastor, go, are there other people who love Jesus and want to pursue Jesus and follow him? Regardless of the cost. Like, I doubt. Do you know when I get reminded that there are other people? I need to see you. You need to see me. We need to see each other to go, there are other people that are serious about pursuing Jesus when it gets really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So not, not only do I need to be reminded of the gospel, and I do that every Sunday, because, you know, I forget all the time. Like, I'll go for days without remembering <laughs> the gospel in my life. So I need to remind that. Sometimes I need, I need to see you to go, oh, I forget. You're serious about following Jesus, too. I forget. You're serious about following Jesus, too. I need that reminder. Do you need that reminder? I sure do. We sure do. Pray that we would be able to do that. Remind each other of that. Sometimes by just pure presence saying, yeah, we're doing this together. All right? We're talking about life interruptions. And this morning was hard. I'm emotionally drained from it. And there are other people that were emotionally drained from it. So this is going to be a hard sermon. It, you ready? You're like, well, what else do we expect from this church? No, but this one is going to be particularly emotionally. Would you agree with that, Cece? Josh, okay. We're talking about life interruptions and how 
interruptions on life are inevitable, non-negotiable. They're the small interruptions, well, traffic jam, dinner plans canceled, etc. And then there are big major ones like death, cancer, illness, divorce, number of ways in which interruptions I'm interrupting our life. And when that happens, um, it's human nature. I totally get it emotionally. I'm with you. We ask two primary questions. They are, why is this happening to me? And when is this going to stop? Why is this happening to me? And when is this going to stop? And those are completely understandable that we ask those two questions and they will be the most important things to us. And what we're trying to do during this sermon series is to have you ask different questions. We'll get you in a little bit. The reason why life interruptions come to our lives, though, is if you think about it, sometimes it's because of what we do. And can we all this morning just be grown-up adults and just say, sometimes I invite interruptions, certain interruptions, in my life, and I just need to own up to that, yes? Okay, we're all, okay. So sometimes we just can't blame other interruptions into our lives because of decisions that we make. Sometimes interruptions come because of what other people do. And then there are other times, listen, when interruptions simply come, for no other reason than the fact that we live in a fallen, broken world. Now, I need to like, go on a two, three-minute tangent for this, and it's intellectually pretty rigorous, so I need you to hang in there with me. Sometimes interruptions come for no other reason than the fact that we live in a fallen, broken world. Why is that important? Because one of the things that Christians like to kind of throw out there that I think is dangerous, you need to be more thoughtful, is when we say stuff like, Everything happens for a reason. Some of y'all said that this week. Now listen, listen very carefully. I'm going to be very nuanced. Right there. Everything happens for a reason. We kind of know what you mean, but we also need you to be more nuanced and careful. What do I mean? What do I mean? Listen, when we go into that everything happens for a reason, sometimes, sometimes mistakenly we miss communicate what God's will might be. Hang in there with me. Some of you, Buki, you tracking with me? Okay. So, so the fact is, the matter is, look, we live in a fallen world, broken world that's filled with sin and, and, and disease and death and evil and injustice. Those things didn't come into the world when God created. When God created the world, he created the world without any of those things. Those things were unleashed into the world when our first parents decided, we know what's best for us. We're going to be our own gods and kings. And we know that Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection ushered in the kingdom of God. But we live in that in-between time, the Saturday, if you will, between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And sometimes that means that, 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 that brokenness and fallenness and the sinfulness of the world will invade our lives. I tell you, I'm talking to somebody, a woman in our church who lost her mom to cancer, right? And she says, Peter, what is God's will in all this? And I just told her, I said, God's will is never for someone to have cancer. God's will is not. I know some of you feel uncomfortable with this, so hang in there. God's will is not for an innocent child to be brutally murdered. God's will is not for someone to have disease and death. God's will is not. So then what, what, what is God's will then, Peter? Are you ready for this? You ready for this? Here's a, a different way of looking at God's will. Let me put it up. God's will is not just about the path we walk, but it's about how we walk the path. God's will is not just about 
how or that event that happens to us, but it's how we respond to that event. Let me put it this way. Not everything happens for a reason, but in everything that happens, God is able to glorify himself, make us more like Jesus, and bring salvation and redemption to the world if we choose to respond to that in obedience. Does that make sense? Put it another way, Romans 8, 28. God works for the good of all those. Yes, sometimes God just intervenes in sovereignty. But when it says God works for the good of all those who believe in, maybe sometimes it's when we choose to respond in a certain way that brings about good in that situation. That God is able to glorify. Now, is this hard? It's the hardest thing you could ever do. Or to use Brené Brown's quote. I recently came across this. I hope faith would be an epidural for pain. Turns out to be a midwife who says, push, I'm here. Sometimes it hurts. Can anybody relate? Men, don't raise your hands. <laughs> you guys, sometimes we fall into this fatalistic, everything happens, for, and we throw that out, and it's hurtful. Don't say it. It's hurtful. But in everything that happens, God can glorify himself, make us more like Jesus, bring salvation to all those who believe in him. Let me put it this way. One last quote and I'll move on. I think John Ortwick said this. Going through pain is inevitable. Growing through pain is optional. will all experience pain and falling apart. I know we as Americans like to think, that's not fair. Grow up. Not you. America, grow up. I'm talking to the... But when it comes, you have a choice. I have a choice. Am I going to respond? That's why the two questions that we're asking in this sermon series, which are, by the way, two of the most difficult questions I've ever asked, which is instead of, why? And when it's God, what are you wanting to do in me in the midst of this thing that happens? What are you wanting to do in me? Could it be possible that there are some things that God wants to do in you? Could, I use this dumb, I, I shouldn't say dumb, it was actually pretty powerful. This silly illustration last week. Remember, I had a guy come up here and hold a bottle full of water, right? And I stood by and I, I shook his hand and, and shook his arm and, and water came, you know, flowed out of the, and, and I, I asked the question, church family, right? If you were here last week, I said, why does water flow out of the bottle when it's shaken? And of course, most of you are like, because your hands are being shaken. No, water flows out of the bottle because there is Water in the bottle. Why, 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 why am I responding with so much anger and resentment and bitterness and jealousy when life interruptions come? I'm totally acting out of character. You are not acting out of character, child. That stuff is in you. And it's in me. It just took a life interruption. Just a little shaky, shaky. Oh. <laughs> I'm 
I'm sorry. It's serious stuff. Don't laugh. I'm laughing at myself. It's just, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, good God. I'm thinking of my 24-year-old self. Somebody breaks up with me. <laughs> All this stuff coming out. I'm going, it's because somebody broke up with me. No, it's because I'm immature. It's because I'm arrogant. It's because I'm conceited. And it's just a little breakup to get that stuff out of me. So what do you want to do in me? Are there some things that God wants to do in me? Yeah. The second question is, second question is, are there some things that God wants to do through me in the midst of this interruption? Because it's not just about us, right? It's not just about us. Thank God for that. That in the midst of those difficult, uncertain times, that there are some things that God wants to do through us. So what if, listen, church, what if we just came to, first, just expect interruptions? You know, don't be shocked by it. Like, stop that. Like, oh, my God. No, we live in a fallen, broken world with fallen, broken people, and interruptions will come. I know I'm not saying don't be crazy and crave interruption. God, my life is kind of boring. It's kind of routine since I'm interrupted. Don't do that. But what if we just expected it? And secondly, not only did we expect it, what if we embraced it? What do I mean? No, don't turn into that weirdo that's like, my flight got canceled. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to walk over to Starbucks and start a Bible study. No, don't do that. <laughs> like nobody wants to be around you, okay? Don't do that. But what I'm saying is this. What I'm saying is maybe in that moment you go, you know what? I thought I was in control. Hello, anybody? But I'm not in control. I can't fly that plane. I can't land that plane. I know you think you can because you saw a movie and you're like, I think it's pretty easy. You can't fly the plane. You can't land the plane. Back off. But you know who is in control? My Heavenly Father. And God says, maybe I want to do some things in you. Maybe I want to do some things through you. So can you just back off? Can I just back off and go, okay. Instead of the why, when, because I could ask that all day, every day. What do you want to do in me? Matter of fact, can you just say that today? Right now. Ready? God, what do you want to do in me? And then secondly, what do you want to do? God, what do you want to do through me? That's the journey. That's the journey we've been on. And yes, it takes courage to embrace this. Because it's easy to go, blame, and I don't like it, and why is this happening, and this and that. But no, lean in. Lean in. The story that we were looking at is a guy named Joseph, who Moses, the author of Genesis, spends 15 chapters on. It's amazing. It's like 15 whole chapters on this family, Jacob. You think you know Joseph and Jacob's story? You don't. I guarantee it. We're going to unpack it today. Because his story, the book of Genesis, reveals powerful truths about interruptions and asking, what do you want to do in and through me? Okay? So Genesis 37 is where we are. Genesis 37, verse 2. We're going to be on this for the next, uh, next few, few weeks as we look at the story of Joseph. I've never done a sermon, the entire series, on the life of Joseph. But this is a good time, I think, for us to do that. Genesis 37, verse 2. And so this is the account of Jacob. Do you remember who Jacob is? Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, the guy that God chose to say, I will bless all the nations through you. In other words, this is the family that's going to carry on the messianic line. Jacob's other name, do you remember, is Israel. How did he get Israel, which means God strives or God wrestles. Do you remember how he got that? 
he got that because in his stubborn self, he wrestled with God all night. Can you imagine wrestling with God? Of course you can. You do it all the time. He wrestled with God, and God gives him a name. God tries. This is much uh, better than his other name, Jacob, which means deceiver. Which, by the way, characterizes life by deceivers, which we'll get into. The story of Jacob, though, is, of course, his father Isaac preferred his older brother Esau over him. So he grew up desperately yearning the approval and affirmation of his father. By the way, today is going to get real personal because we're going to get into some family of origin stuff for all of us. And as Jacob gets older, he fixes his heart utterly on a woman named who? Rachel, the second of his two wives. Jacob goes through life going, if I could have her, then everything will be okay. Anybody ever say that? If I have her, if I have him, everything will be okay. Of course you know it doesn't. He utterly fixes his heart on Rachel. She becomes his emotional friend. Rachel, of course, dies, giving birth to Benjamin, Joseph's younger brother. What does Jacob do? Jacob transfers his emotional center from Rachel to who? His son, Joseph. Joseph becomes the emotional center in Jacob's life. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. And he brought their father a bad report. We'll get to that in a minute. A bad report about them. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Parents, is that good parenting? It's terrible parenting. He loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. I shared this morning. Every night I put my Sophie to bed. <laughs> she goes, Daddy, am I your favorite child? <laughs> Did you not? Every single time. What do you think I said? I'm not going to tell you. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Let's just say I'm not a very good parent. Okay? All right. Verse 3. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in old age. And he made Joseph a richly ornamented robe for him. The word richly ornamented literally means rich. In other words, Jacob lavished money on Joseph that he didn't with his other sons. And where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Let me tell you about the, two, the, the robe, okay. Commentators say the robe was literally long sleeves and long length all the way down to your ankles, okay? And it's obviously rich and very expensive, sign of nobility. So imagine someone wearing a robe, okay? Now, why is it important? Can you do manual labor in that thing? No, you can't do manual labor in that thing. The working garment of that time was short sleeves and short leg tunics. So when Jacob gives Joseph this, this robe, that would have been like sending someone to a welder to a construction site wearing a mink coat. Go, good luck. Jacob is declaring loud and clear to anybody, everybody listen. Joseph is my favorite. I love him so much. One word before I move on. Parents, and I said this morning, if you want a surefire way to wreck your children, do what Jacob did with Joseph. Make them the identity and the emotional center of your life. We have people in our church 
I picked on Asians this morning, but I realize not just Asians. We have people in our church this morning whose lives have been wrecked, and this might be harsh, but whose lives were altered or affected because their parents did to you what Jacob did to Joseph, which is, if you're successful, then I'm somebody. If you're successful, then I'm a big woman. Do you know what that does to your children? Jacob's sins poisons the entire family system. What do you mean? Look what's happening to Joseph. Verse 2 when it says, and he gave a bad report. The word literally in Hebrew means a lie, a misrepresentation. In other words, Joseph is becoming a liar just like his daddy. And the brothers, they're not dumb. They're looking at him going, his mama was my, our dad's favorite. And him, he's dad's favorite. And in a matter of literally moments, envy, jealousy, resentment will boil over and threaten to destroy the whole family. Look what happens. Verse 4. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of his others, they hated him. And could not speak a kind word of him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We're binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright. While your sheaves gather around mine and bow down to it. And by the way, in Hebrew, the way he's saying it is completely demeaning and cruel. I don't know where some of us that grew up, you know, felt for Sunday school. Like Joseph is this godly man who as a 17-year-old just said, God gave me this dream. No, he's acting like a brat. Verse 8, his brother said to him, so you intend to reign over us, huh? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what? He had said. In Hebrew, the way they emphasize something, if they didn't have caps and stuff, they say it more than once. If something is holy, that's pretty holy. Something is holy, holy, that's holy. If something is holy, 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 the word hate is found three times in five verses. They're willing to murder their own brother. Give me two minutes to say something before I move on. Can you all look up? This is important. You are not created to contain a toxic emotion like hate. Hate is corrosive in nature and it will utterly affect you. How? Please listen. If you have hate in your heart, it makes you incapable of loving and being loved. Let me say it again. If you have hate, resentment in your heart, please listen. It makes you incapable of loving, genuinely loving other people, and maybe more importantly, being loved. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? If you have hate, resentment towards anybody in your heart, please do not ignore it because it makes you incapable of truly loving somebody and being loved. And I don't know you, but I know this about you. You cannot live life without loving and being loved. You need that like you need oxygen. 
So if you're sitting here this morning and you have hate and resentment growing in your heart, do something about it. Do not just sit there and go, give what it makes you incapable of loving somebody and being loved. And you need to love to be loved. Please hear me and take this seriously. The dream. What about the dream? The dream was pretty clear is that his entire family, of course, was going to bow down to him. And the dream, by the way, was ridiculous. The reason why brothers responded is because it was ridiculous to social customs of the day. This is the ancient Near East. It's very much like the culture I grew up in, which is older people don't bow to younger people. Can I ask you something? If you're Joseph, if you're Joseph and you have a dream and you tell your brothers and they hate you and they hate you and they hate you. And let's just say you have another dream. If you're emotionally healthy and self-aware, you have another dream. <laughs> what do you do with that dream you have? Say it. You what? You keep it to your own self. <laughs> what does Joseph do? Verse 9. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Some of you are like, I never, I never saw that. I don't know. I didn't either for a while. Listen, he said, and you could just say, I had another dream. Guess what? This time it's the sun and the moon and the stars were all bowing down to me. Joseph isn't just turning into a liar. He's turning into a cruel, arrogant, egomaniac. And guess what, guys? And this is the guy that God's going to use to save a nation. And an entire family? What? Yeah, we have a little bit of go before we get there, don't we? Verse 10, when he told his father, his brother, his father rebuked him, even his dad, and said, what's this dream you have? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and bow to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in hand. Do you know what lessons we learn about interruptions from Joseph? Here's the first one. You ready? Christianity isn't about religion. It's about the gospel of grace. You guys know that every time your pastor opens their Bible, I see Jesus and the gospel. Do you know that? Everywhere. Every, do you know why? Because of stories like this. What do I mean? The way I grew up, I was taught to read the Bible through sort of a religious lens. I don't think it was, you know, it was like the people I think meant well. But basically I grew up. Learning about these stories. And basically the message was, here are the rules for right living. Here are the examples of right living. Now live like them and God will bless you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The problem is, when you read the Bible carefully, there aren't any good examples. <laughs> you, shall, you tell me. Who's the role model in Genesis 37? Jacob? He just needs basic parenting seminar. Don't show favoritism to one of your children. Joseph's brothers filled with envy, hate, and jealousy. Joseph, a liar turning into an egomaniac. What examples do you want to follow there? I hope this resonates with you. And if it does, say a huge amen. Do you know why this is the wonderful news for me? Because if you're not a Christian and you think the Bible is actually about, here are good moral examples, follow them and God will bless you. Here's the message of Christianity. You ready? Here's the message of Christianity. That just blows me up. Message of Christianity is... 
God, our God, extends his grace into your life despite you. In spite of you. <laughs> and saves you from sin and flaws and weaknesses that we would never be able to overcome on our own. Is that good news to anybody? The message from Genesis to Revelation is not... Here's a great example. Follow it. God will bless you. It says the Bible is the unfolding of God's redemptive plan through his son Jesus. And here's the way that works. That means that God will come into your life despite you and give grace, hello anybody, to you even though you don't deserve it. And many times we don't even appreciate it for crying out loud. And yet God says I will intervene in your life and extend and save you and redeem you from sins you otherwise would be able to overcome. Is that good news? to anybody. See, the amazing thing about the Bible is this. It doesn't say there's one person who did it right. His name was Jesus. Now follow him and God will bless you. It says you couldn't follow him to save your life. So guess what he did? He lived a life you should have lived and died the death you should have died. And when you surrender your life and trust him, what he did gets given to you as a gift. Is that good news? Do you know what that means? How many of, you jack how, how many of us came up from jacked up families? Do you know what, oh, I didn't mean, don't raise your hand. Sorry about that. I was just, that was rhetorical. Many of us get, do you know what that means? Do you know what this story means? That means that regardless of how jacked up your family is, you can't write yourself off from God's final kiss. That means that God doesn't have a plan B for your life because your family was so messed up. Is that good news to anybody? I hope it is. Gospel, gospel, gospel. Jesus, Jesus. Verse 13, Israel said to Joseph, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. I'm going to go send you to them. Go and see if all is well with your brothers and bring word back to me. So when Joseph arrived at Shechem, you know in his multicolored coat. <laughs> Can you imagine? Joseph, I, I'm not even going to. Right, anyway, just imagine the kid, 17-year-old kid, all cocky and all arrogant in his multicolored coat. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around. And it was probably easy to spot him. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> People are going, who the heck is wearing that full-length mink coat? What is the word? He asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? Verse 17, they've moved on from here. I heard them say, hey, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted Kill him. I'm glad this story is coming alive for you guys, okay? It's amazing. Verse 20, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and, they, and say that a ferocious animal devour them. The sins of the father are being passed down to the children. Everybody in that family is becoming a liar. Parents, 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 take this seriously. We pass on the sins to our children. And if it's not dealt with, to their children, and to their children, and to their children. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. And the word strip in Hebrew literally describes skinning an animal. Visualize that, skinning an animal. So it's not, Joseph, can you take off your coat? We hate your coat. It's they got around him and stripped it off his body like skinning an animal. 
a richly ornamented robe he's wearing. And they took him and they threw him into the system. The word threw in Hebrew literally means to dump a dead body. Imagine, imagine that. How much anger. They, they, they strip him and they throw him into this pit. Like throwing a dead body. And they sat down to eat their meal. How much hate do you have to have in your heart to do that and go, everybody, it's lunchtime, grab your sandwiches. How much hate? But listen, don't look at that and go, boy, I feel bad for him. Check your heart. Check your heart. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels Loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So Judah, remember that name, by the way. Judah said to his brothers, wait, 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 wait. what are we going to gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? And in case you're thinking he's being, you know, altruistic, we'll find out a little bit later. Verse 27, no, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. When the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. You're not going to like what I'm about to say, but please sit with it for a bit. You ready? We in America like to think that who we are today is a result of individual decisions and choices we made. We love the word self-made. We love rugged individualism. We love pull yourself by the bootstrap. We love that stuff. We love to think that we are masters of our own destiny. Do you realize, listen, that who you are and who I am is a product of relationships and communities of people we've been around? Do you realize that you have been profoundly influenced by your family, by relationships? Do you realize that who you and I today are is not a product of individual We've been profoundly influenced. Things that have been done to us by other people are just as critical as things done by us. But Peter, I hated my family. I vowed I would never be anything, nothing like them. Precisely, you have been influenced by your family to go, I will be nothing like them. Why am I belaboring this point? Here's the truth that most Christians in America just don't want to hear, and yet it's life transforming. Here it is. If community is what messed you up, then community is what will heal you. I have a therapist. Did I just say that out loud? Yes, I did. I have a spiritual director. But do you think that I even think for a moment that I could heal myself through some knowledge and some tools? Do you actually think that who you are, who I am, who we've been profoundly shaped by, of communities of people, and we could all of a sudden discover and change who we are on our own, do you really think that? If community is what messed you up, community is okay. That's going to heal you. Now, how does this work, Peter? It works this way. First of all, you and I can't see our flaws without outside help. Which one of us seriously is going to see you this morning? I don't need other people to tell me what's wrong with me. I have that kind of self-awareness on my own. Are you kidding me? Am I kidding myself? 
Other people can see flaws about us way better than we can. We need people in our lives to speak truth and go, you got some issues here. You got, you got some stuff in there that comes out, and you, know, you don't, you, you don't want to admit it, but there are some things about you that come. We need people like, can I just say something real quick? If your Christian community, I put that in quotes, if your Christian community is surrounded by people that will never speak hard truth to you, find another one. Don't waste your time with a group of people who care more about you liking them than you. And they will never, ever speak hard truth to you. So we need people in our lives who will speak truth to us. Joseph, you're a little arrogant. Joseph, you're a little conceited. Joseph, you're getting out of control. Joseph, your ego. Joseph. But here's the amazing thing. When you find a group of people who not only speak truth to you, but check this out. They actually go, but I forgive you when you hurt me. But I'm going to stick with you when you go astray. But no matter what you do, I will not abandon this friendship. When you find people like that, it heals you. Do you know why? Because here's the thing you and I need more than anything else. We need to be fully known and fully accepted without any fear of rejection. Every single one of us in this room, even though we hate to admit it, go, I need somebody to know me all the way to the bottom. And I need somebody to say, but you're going to be okay and I'm not going to abandon you. Every single one of us. That is the only context in which, by the way, you will be rigorously honest about your flaws and actually get forgiven. Did you ever think about this? Why do you think God says, I want a relationship with you and not here's rules? Do you ever think about it? Do you realize that it's in the context of a relationship with God where he disciplines, rebukes, corrects, and points things out? But we have a God who says, I know everything there is to know about you, but I'm not going anywhere. I know everything there is to know about you, Peter. I know things about you you don't even know yourself. And yet, I'm not going anywhere. I love you. And by the way, this good work that I started, God said, I always knew you. So don't give up. My spirit lives in you. Find God-loving, Jesus-pursuing community people and do life with them. But don't give up. Can I ask you something? Can you point to people in your life today, right now, and go, they know me all the way to the bottom, even the ugly stuff, and yet they love me unconditionally. Or are you hiding? Community is what messed you up. The last thing about this story, remarkably, God seems absent. What do I mean? First 34 chapters in Genesis, God is all over the place. Theophany, presence, blood, creation, audible voice, Abraham. But in the story of Joseph, God doesn't directly intervene and loud. What do we learn? Here's the principle, and we'll draw this out. God's silence is not absent. 
God's hiddenness is not his abandonment. See, the amazing thing about the story of Joseph, and I need you to hang in there for the next couple weeks, is that even though God seems to be utterly absent, you can't read the story without going, wow, God is there managing, orchestrating, even overruling, even the minutest of details. God is everywhere. But the people on the ground are going, where is he? Where is he? The perfect example is Joseph. What do I mean? Do you know that in Genesis 42, we find out that Joseph cried out in the pit, save me! Somebody help me, God! Somebody! He cries out. Primal scream for help. Anybody been there? He is crying out to God, and yet nothing happens. God doesn't save him. God doesn't send deliverance. And I'm going to be real honest here. I don't like that God. I want to reject that God. I want to say, I don't want to believe. Am I the only one? Because you know the kind of God that I do like? Centuries later, same city, those things. Do you know what happened? Same city, same Bible. Second Kings chapter 6, you don't have to look home yet. Elisha the prophet is now surrounded, same city of Dothan, by enemy armies. He's about to die. He cries, <laughs> God help me. Do you know what happens? Chariots of fire. Heavenly army. And they destroy everybody. Here's the thing. We go, that's We go, now, that's the kind of God that I want. That's the kind of God that I like. That's the kind of God that I believe. So listen, listen, listen. This is the most important moment. Listen. Why the difference? Why the difference? Why Genesis 37 for Joseph? Why for Genesis 37? For Joseph 30, why does it have to be that hard? Why does it have to be that painful? Why? For Joseph, why not Elisha's deliverance? Why not? You ready? This is going to be hard. Elisha's salvation was a simple salvation. He just needed to be physically delivered. Joseph needed more than physical salvation. salvation from his pride from his conceit from his deception otherwise everybody in the story would die I'm going to say this again let me speak for me There are times in my life when I wish God would have answered my prayer. There are times in my life, church, hear me, when I wish, when I say, God, end this, deliver me, God, stop it. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that the answer would have been chariots of fire and heavenly army. Except what I got at the time was silence 
silence and silence. And the only way that when I look back, and I go, why did that have to happen? The only way that me, I'm not speaking for you, that I could have been delivered from my pride, my conceit, and my arrogance is that I needed more than just a simple physical salvation. I needed a deeper salvation. I know this is hard for some of you to hear. Do you know what happens in the story? See, we have the, we have the, 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 uh, the, the honor or the privilege, if you will, of knowing what happens in the story. Because way on, we're going to get to that in a couple weeks. Do you know what happens? In chapter 45, we come to this. There is a famine coming, unbeknownst to anybody in the known world. And literally everyone could potentially die. The only country that has grain is Egypt. Why? We'll see. Joseph rises to the ranks and he is able to prepare a famine relief program. And the nation of Egypt is the only nation that has grain. All the other nations don't, including Jacob's family. So Jacob says, we're about to die of famine. And he says to his brothers, Joseph's brothers, I need you to go to Egypt and buy grain. That's the only place. And there's a scene where Joseph, decades later, sees his brothers. They can't recognize him because he's in Egyptian garb. He's cleanly shaven. He's got all makeup. All he's sitting on his throne as the prince of Egypt, the second most powerful man. And he sees his brothers walking to get grain. And there's this powerful scene where what happens? Joseph, of course, reveals who he is to them. And they're scared. Spitless. Because they're looking at their brother who they stripped like an animal, dumped into a dead body, and sold like a slave. Joseph has the power literally to go off with your head. Or to save them. What do you think happens in that story? Do you know? Genesis 45. This is the most amazing thing. Verse 4, I am your brother Joseph, you know, the one you sold into Egypt. Now off with your heads. No, that's not what happens. And now, do not be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to what? Save lives. That God... This is an amazing perspective, church, that God sent me ahead of you. God, not you. God, not you, mom, not you, dad, not you, brother, sister. God, not you, boss. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. You intended to harm me, but man, God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Is anybody else astounded by that? Come on, is anybody astounded by that? How does a spoiled rotten egomaniac 17-year-old go from that to this? I'll tell you why. He needed salvation from his pride, from his ego, from his deceit. If Joseph is saved from what he wants to be saved from, in Genesis 37, everybody dies. Everybody is lost, including his, his, his family. 
Joseph has to go on this journey. I have to go on this journey. You might have to go on this journey to be truly saved so that we can be used by God to save our world. If Joseph isn't saved from his pride, his arrogance is deceived. Is it possible, you guys, look at me. Is it possible that our Heavenly Father would allow you and me to go through some stuff to do a deep work in us? I'm just going to put it out there. You don't have to say yes. Does anybody in this room need salvation from our conceit and pride? Does anybody in this room need salvation from our sins of idolatry? Does anybody in this room need salvation from our codependency or self-dependency. Is anybody in this room, anybody in this room needs salvation from the very things that could potentially wreck us if not dealt with? So is it possible that a loving Heavenly Father would allow some things, would permit some things to come into our lives in the form of interruption? In such a way and in such a manner that God can do this deep work. Do you know what this story basically teaches? CZ, you can come on up. This story teaches God, listen, has a dream for your glory. He has a dream for what he can do in you and what he can do through you. But here's the thing. You ready? Some of you are sitting right now and you're in the middle of the dream and you're going, this looks stupid. This doesn't make any sense. Could it be possible for you and me, instead of one that comes going, this doesn't make any sense. This is not what God will do. I'm done. And bailing out on God, could it be possible that instead you lean in and you go, I don't know why and I don't know when, but I do know this. I do know that if I'm willing, do something here in me and here through me that I would have never at those ups and downs. Uh -uh. Going through pain is not optional. Growing from it, that's up to me. Where do you find hope to do that? Try hard. No, that's not where you find hope. Do you know what this story points to? This story points to the ultimate Joseph that was to come. What do I mean? Do you realize that centuries later, another Joseph came to his brothers and they what? They received him well. Do you realize that another Joseph came into the world? And they too stripped him of his robe. Do you realize another Joseph came and his very own brothers betrayed him and abandoned him to die? Do you realize that another Joseph cried out, why, why? Do you know why that's important? Because if you're like me, when you go through life interruption, you can't make sense. Immediately, you know, my mind goes, mind goes, what did I do wrong? 
Why am I not pleasing God? How could I be a better Christian? Blah, 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 blah. And my mind immediately goes there. Do you know what ultimate Joseph points to? Ultimate Joseph says, listen, when you're going through that, you know that you never, ever have to question my love for you because the ultimate Joseph did that to show you how much he loved you. When you're going through life interruption, you go, everything is silent. Things have gone just completely black. I can't hear. Where are you, God? You know that no matter what, you will never, ever be abandoned. Do you know why? Because Jesus was abandoned on the cross by his father for you. Where do you find hope and strength in the midst of this incredibly difficult interruption to know that you can persevere? It's looking not within. Don't look within. Don't look at yourself. Self-control, self-will. You and I are not that strong, not that good. It's looking up and going, you're the ultimate Joseph. You're the ultimate Joseph betrayed for me. You're the ultimate Joseph stripped of your father's love for me. You're the ultimate Joseph sold for shekels of silver for me. make sense of everything that's happening here but I can he is for me he is with me and he's gonna get me through it will you pray with me We're just going to end in a moment with prayer. And I just, I just want you guys to just take a deep breath. It was, it was pretty intense. 45 minutes or so. Just <sighs> See, I don't know exactly who you are or exactly what you're going through. You may be in a great season of no worry, no concern, no transition, no interruption. And there's some of you for whom this close hits way too close to home. Whether you're going through it now or coming later, it's coming. Well, you have the courage to look within and pray this prayer right now. God, what are you wanting to do in me? And God, what are you wanting to do through me? Again, regardless of whether you're going through an interruption or not, what a powerful, honest surrender prayer. What are you wanting to do in me? What are you wanting to do through me? Just the next minute or so before I bless you and send you out to the mission God has for you, just think for a moment right now and just make that thing. Will you pray that out from the bottom of your heart? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to do through me? Right now, in the midst of that. What do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in me? He is your heavenly
Can you all stand together with me, church? Here we go. And I'm going to go ahead and ask um, Cece Helton, if he wouldn't mind, just kind of after I give you the benediction, he'll play for a little bit and just kind of provide space for anyone that wants to stick around to, to pray by yourself or with somebody. We look to the ultimate Joseph. We look to the ultimate Joseph. Could we possibly, God, say, you're enough in me? Could we possibly be able to say, I trust you? Could we possibly be able to say, I surrender and yield to you? Interest. Father, will you enable us to be people of courage? Courage that for some of us will mean doing the hard, difficult, soul-searching work of asking what it is you're wanting to do in us. For some of us, courage will mean putting ourselves out there after not putting ourselves out there for fear of being hurt or let down by community, letting other people in, trusting others to come around us. Courage to put ourselves out there. And for some of us, the courage, God, to lean into you when nothing seems to make sense to us. In this journey that we're on, we pray and ask Jesus that you would continue to guide us for the next upcoming weeks. Holy Spirit. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God's people said, Live your lives as sent people, church family, to the mission that God has for you. Be empowered by the Spirit. Be used by God to be His hands and His feet and His mouth. Be blessed. Be blessed.